0: So this week, we are going to kick off the book of Daniel. So when we come to the book of Daniel, it's important that you are aware, anyways, that there are people out there who are confused about who wrote Daniel. Daniel, as a prophetic book, has some of the most incredibly precise prophecies in all of Scripture. And because it has such precise um, prophecies, there are scholars out there who think it's a history because some people struggle with the supernatural. However, I'm not one of those guys. So when we think about who wrote the book of Daniel, I'm going to solve it for you because Jesus solved it for you in Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So Jesus is quoting from Daniel, and who did he say wrote it? Daniel. And as we work our way through the the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night. Who declared? Daniel, yeah, Daniel uh, 7.15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. Whose spirit was it? Daniel's. Yeah, that's right, Daniel 7.28. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. Whose thoughts were they? Daniel's crazy, huh? You have to be really smart and have a lot of schooling to not see that Daniel wrote Daniel. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel. Who had the vision? Daniel. Daniel. Who's writing it? It's first person, right? Daniel's talking about himself. He's saying, hey, I, me, Daniel, in case you're confused, he knew in the future they would be. Daniel 8.15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision. Who saw the vision? You guys get the point, right? And I, Daniel, uh, Daniel 8, 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Who laid sick for some days? Daniel. Daniel. Okay. So you see the person writing, telling us a story. He's referring to himself uh, as himself. I, Daniel, was sick. I, Daniel, saw the vision. I, Daniel, have written these things. Who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel. It really doesn't have to be that complicated, but I have like 20 more verses that say the same thing if we need to be taking a look at it. Why is there any question about it? Well, because in our world today, there's a worldview in opposition to Christianity, a naturalist, materialist worldview that does not believe in the supernatural. So when you have someone speaking of an event hundreds and thousands of years before the event takes place, it's hard to reconcile. It's easier to reconcile it by saying somebody wrote this after, and they're pretending to be Daniel. But it's not really written by Daniel. It's interesting because there's a few arguments where they talk about, you know, the the first, earliest, at one time, the earliest um, manuscript evidence that we had for the book of Daniel was like uh, 3rd century B.C. And so... People were struggling with, because Daniel was written in the 6th century B.C., so they're saying, okay, well, you know, 300 years later, somebody was writing after some of these events took place, and the problem was the Dead Sea Scrolls, they dug up a book of Daniel that predates, uh, goes, it goes back to, it doesn't go all the way back to, it's not original, it doesn't go all the way back to the 6th century, but it predates everything else we had, and so again refuted some of the arguments that they had about the authorship of the book of Daniel. So we have Daniel written from the 6th century in the Babylonian captivity. Now we've been talking about the Babylonian captivity for three, four books, right? So we've seen Jeremiah the prophet, we've seen Ezekiel the prophet, now Daniel, they're all contemporaries, right? Daniel is going to go in the first deportation, 605 B.C., Daniel's in the first group. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Ezekiel is in the second group that is deported. Daniel lives in the palace. Ezekiel lives refugee camp. Okay? Jeremiah is back in Jerusalem. So you got a prophet in Jerusalem, you got a prophet in a refugee camp, and you got a prophet in the palace. So as we see, these are going to be, we're going to be covering some of the same ideas. You, you are. Uh, familiar with. This book has four different languages in it, which again creates a little, some questions, right? Four different languages. You have Hebrew, Aramaic, Persian, and Greek. Persian and Greek are just a few words. Hebrew and Aramaic, uh, the the center section, chapters two through six, I want to say two through six, might be two through seven, two through seven, yeah, two through seven are written in Aramaic. Chapter one is in Hebrew, and then the following chapters are, are all in Hebrew, uh, minus a, a few words. So, so the book divides itself, right, by language. It says, hey, I want you to focus on these together. They're written in there. That's an easy way to do it, right? If I want you to, to understand things in, in conjunction with one another, putting them in different languages makes that work out. So... If I write this in Hebrew and the end in Hebrew, we're going to focus on that. One's going to shine light on the other. Two through seven, uh, a series uh, section that sits in the middle. Those we're going to see in light of one another as well. As we look at the book of Daniel, one through six is basically the story of Daniel. And seven through 12 is his uh, prophecies, the visions. So the book kind of divides nicely that way as well. You need to also recognize Daniel's different than all the other prophets. All the other prophets you'll have, a here's the word of the Lord to Ezekiel, thus saith the Lord, and he gives a prophecy, right? Daniel's a story. Daniel's written to us as a story. We're going to see the story of Daniel and the things that Daniel accomplished and that which the Lord showed Daniel um, as a result. Now, as I was doing some studying and stuff, I'm always... <clears throat> looking for for things maybe that will help us get the bird's eye of Daniel uh, I want us to understand the scope and the direction we're going to dive into some intricacies later on in Daniel but we can't lose sight of the forest for the trees right we got to understand the point and the point and subject of Daniel is really amazing so I have a video for you it's it's uh, by a uh group called the Spoken Gospel, and um, so it's, uh, it's an overview, okay, and it's really good, I don't know about anything else, but this stuff on Daniel is good, so I want you guys to take a look at this video, it's just a few minutes, and then we'll jump into Daniel 1, first one, okay, let it rip, let's see if we make it work, did we turn off all the TVs?
1: despite what it looks like, God is in control. And that's good news for a conquered kingdom like Israel at the opening of the book of Daniel. For Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had come and laid siege upon God's promised land and his chosen population. Israel's temple was plundered, their land was sabotaged, and their king Jehoiakim was made a slave in Babylonia. But this was not the only way Babylon wreaked havoc on the kingdom of Israel. They also captured their nobility, their wisest and their most capable, one of whom was a man named Daniel. Yet, the most surprising statement we come upon is not that the temple's holy ground was trampled on, or that its holy objects were taken to a pagan temple in which they did not belong. It's not even that evil Babylon conquered the Holy Land. The most surprising statement we find is that it was God himself who gave Israel into their enemy's hand. And this is really what the book of Daniel communicates as a whole, that even when the worst events imaginable begin to unfold, someone is still on the throne. Because despite what it looks like, God is in control. For this, destruction was already foretold. For Israel and their king had committed all kinds of evil. They had defiled the temple, neglected orphans and widows, and even built and worshipped false idols. Sin was on their throne and needed to be overthrown, so God sent them a prophet named Jeremiah and through him promised that he would send the Babylonians to demolish them, to punish their sin, to bring about their destruction. But God's people didn't listen. They refused their opportunity for repentance, and so from God's land they were evicted. Daniel and his friends were taken to Babylon to serve their king. To worship their gods, to become Babylonian down to the bone. But Daniel knew that even though Nebuchadnezzar was in power, God was still on the highest throne. And so God rose Daniel to a place of prominence in order to show that he alone reigns over every king. It is God's kingdom that will remain after all others have been overthrown. And he made this known through Daniel and his friends by a series of miraculous events. Daniel and his friends refused to eat the unclean food offered by the king. But God's control made it so, they grew fat from nothing but water and greens. The king was driven mad by a dream no one could interpret accurately. But God's control made it so, this unknown mystery was seen by Daniel clearly. Daniel's friends were thrown into a furnace for not bowing to the king's golden image. But God's control made it so, not even their clothes were singed by the image. As King Nebuchadnezzar's power increased, he became proud and boasted of his strength. But God's control made it so, the king became like a wild beast to show that God is truly over every empire's highest seat the king's son, threw a feast and drank wine from Israel's holy objects, which Nebuchadnezzar had seized. But God's control made it so, the writing on the wall, which only Daniel could read, spoke of this king's downfall by the Persians and the Medes. And finally, Daniel was thrown into a lion's den for praying to God when it was forbidden. But God's control made it so, the lion's hunger was overwritten. Their mouths were shut to show that no matter the power, kingdom, or position, God has full dominion. All of these stories in Daniel contribute to a central goal, and that is to show that despite what it looks like, God is in control. Now, these stories which show God's control only compose the first half of the book. But the second half will show how God's control is going to look. While the first half is filled with stories of God's provisions, the second half is filled with visions. And these visions were given to Daniel. Visions of kingdoms that rise and fall, visions of beastly empires being uninstalled, visions of war both in and outside Israel's walls. But no matter what the visions depict or what their symbols are called, the hope of every vision is the same. God is in charge of it all. One day, he is going to place his own king over every nation and every land. One king whose kingdom will always stand. One king who has actually reigned ever since the world began, and this king in Daniel is called the Son of Of man. But when Daniel's visions had come to an end, and when his life and his book had finished being penned, that Son of Man had still not come for them. For as the visions promised, God's kingdom would come long after Daniel and his friends. It would come after the Persians, Medes, Greeks, and Babylonians. It would even extend to the time of Caesar and the Romans. For even though Israel was back in their land, they were still waiting for their savior. They were still waiting for the Son of Man. And So when Jesus came and applied the title Son of Man to himself, he was saying that he fulfilled its role. He is the son of man the book of Daniel foretold. He is God's king who would spread God's rule from pole to pole. But he would not do so by fitting the Babylonian mold. No, he would not reach his goal through furnaces, lions' dens, or amassing armies and gold. Instead, he would transform a cross into his throne because every nation every king every person was ruled by the same thing it's the thing that led to israel's destruction and babylon's demise it's the thing that toppled kingdoms and rules every life it's the thing that makes us put ourselves on the throne instead of him and that thing is called pride lust greed that thing is called sin So when Jesus left his throne to take up the cross, he made our sin his own. But despite what it looked like, he was still in control because Jesus rose from the dead. And now he sits on the highest throne above every president, army and power unknown in order to give us this vision, to give us this hope that this Jesus who conquered sin and Sheol will return to reign forever, as Daniel has told. So take heart, for he has and does and will forever have the world in his hold. For despite what it looks like, Jesus is in control.
0: So we begin, keep in mind the theme. We see it in Daniel 1, 1 and 2. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, here's what you need to understand. 605 in Carchemish there was this battle, the battle of the Titans. Assyria and Egypt were together, they were unified, they were the world power, Babylon, uh, Babylonia, they were the the up-and-comer. They were the contender. So they met on a battlefield in Carchemish, and Nebuchadnezzar beat Egypt and Assyria together, which made Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar king of the world. Now, when he left that battlefield, he began to take a tour to all the nations around to make sure they knew, I'm the new king on the block. And one of those places was Jerusalem. So he besieged Jerusalem. It was not much of a fight. Jerusalem could not stand before the might of Babylon. And verse 2 says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That word the Lord is Adonai. It means the sovereign. The reason Daniel uses this is exactly what we saw in the video that we watched. And that is, despite what it looks like, God is in control. Yahweh, Adonai, he gave Jehoiakim and Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Some of the vessels of the house of God, and they brought them to the land of Shinar. Now, uh, again, Daniel chooses to use an ancient name. The ancient name of Shinar, he doesn't call him Babylon. He calls him Shinar. Why? Because that goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis. It goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. You remember where man gave his final rebellion against God? When we look at Genesis 1 through 11, we see the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, the corruption of man in Genesis chapter 6, and the rebellion of man in Genesis 11. You see this trifecta take place in mankind before God. And so in chapter 12 of Genesis, God says, I'm going to create a nation for me. I'm going to draw out my own peculiar people. And so he spoke to a man named Abram. Abram, the Lord said to Abram, go to a place where I will show you. And Abram said, what? Okay. Abraham, we see later on, chapter 15, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So God begins to build his nation. Now we see his nation going into exile. They go to Shinar to remind us of the rebellion of man. Because when we look at the book of Daniel, you're going to see prophecies of a of a statue that talks about the kingdoms of men rising and falling, rising and falling. But every time they rise and fall, who's in control? God. And one day, what's the end of that vision? A stone not cut out with hands is going to destroy all the kingdoms of men and become the kingdom of God. There's so many things, and that's chapter 2, so I can't preach chapter 2 yet. So we have to get first through chapter 1. Which it's not looking good, so we'll see. So as we look at it, we see all of, this, all of these pieces, they fit together. This is a literary masterpiece telling the story of Daniel, weaving into that the concept of God being in control, along with the visions of Daniel telling us about the last days, all of these things we have laid out before us. And it's an apropos time, because we should remind ourselves as we look at our own, go home and watch the news tonight, no matter what it looks like, God is in control. He will reign. So we look and we see this this place, this place, Shinar, speaking of the ancient rebellion against God, the false religion, self-will. And self-aggrandizement, the picture of pride, all of those are going to play into the stories that we read. Verse 3 says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and the nobility, use without blemish, a good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now, you need to understand what's happening. They take the best and the brightest that Israel had left that had any tie to the throne. The ones they left behind were the dirt bags that had ties to the throne. The ones that had character and showed promise, they took all of them. And they took all of them and they made them eunuchs. Which means there's never going to be, they're never going to sire another son. The the, the 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 point is to control the leadership that's going to be placed on the throne in Jerusalem, which didn't work because the dirtbags couldn't get along and they fought with each other and were disobedient and ultimately led to the destruction of multiple rebellions three times. Jerusalem's going to be conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. They take the best. Young, probably 16 years old, 15 years old. They've had their bar mitzvah, so they're considered to be adults. And as they walk into uh, the new place, they're stripped from their family and from all family control. And they're taken to the seat of power of idolatry. They're taken to, if you would picture Las Vegas, Sin City, that's Babylon. Babylon. Babylon, Sin City, you can do anything here. Oh, don't worry, your parents are gone. What your dad taught you doesn't matter. What your mom taught you, what you grew up in, none of that matters. We're going to teach you how to be Babylonians. We're going to teach you how to be conformed into the image of this world. But the story is about men being transformed by the renewing of their mind. By a trust in God and God's ultimate deliverance. It says, so the king in verse 5 assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, of the wine that he drank, and they were educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they would stand before the king. They got to stand before the king. Now, you got to understand, in the ancient world, a peasant could not stand before the king. The class system in the world back then A peasant did not have the confidence to stand before a king. However, a prince did. To a prince, being in the palace was not a big deal, right? He grew up in palaces. He grew up in politics. He grew up around all this stuff. You take a farmer and you put him in the palace, and unless he was endowed by the Spirit of God as the Lord's prophets were, he did not have the confidence to stand. When the king said, I think we should do this, they just go mumble over their words. You're not going to find that in Daniel. You're not going to see that. Three years from now, they're going to be tested. So for three years, Daniel's going to endure a trial, a trial of will you be transformed into who God wants you to be, a prophet of the Most High, or will you conform to the image all around you? the freedom all around you, drink what you want, eat what you want, stay up as late as you want, do what you want, whatever you want to do, do it. That was Babylon. And so he's faced with this, he's faced with these ideas, and it says among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the tribe of Judah. (coughs) So four young men, all related to one another in some way, all part of the line of David in, in some way all part of the tribe of Judah, right? The royal tribe. And so as they as they are gathered there in that place, it says in verse seven, and so the chief of eunuchs gave them names. So the first thing they do, the first plan, the first concept that they have, we're gonna alter their mind. We're gonna, we're gonna alter the way they think. We're gonna teach them about our literature and, and our philosophy. And we're gonna alter their, their customs, and we're going to alter their convictions. And when we're done in three years, they're going to be good Babylonians. It's interesting because when we consider this idea, the king's descendants and nobility, all being brought to Babylon in this first uh, invasion, this first conquering, Isaiah told them about it in Isaiah 39. If you remember Isaiah, when we studied Isaiah, Isaiah was primarily focused with the northern kingdom And their destruction coming under the Assyrian rule. Remember what happened in Karchemesh? You had the Assyrians and the Egyptians fight Babylon. That's the second rule. Babylon comes on the scene, but prior to that it was Assyria. And the north falls to Assyria, and Isaiah's warning to the south, to Judah, is you're going to be like them. They would look at the northern kingdom and say, those guys are just a bunch of trash. They deserve what's coming. And Isaiah would say, he said actually in Isaiah 39, seven, some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father will be taken away and they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And that's exactly what happened. They're going to alter their mind. Colossians, Paul writes in Colossians chapter two, this is still going on today. The world wants to alter the mind. It wants to take away the conviction of the believer. Make everybody have the same worldview and everything will be better. Just be a good little worker ant. Be a good little worker bee. Do the things you're supposed to do. Honor the state. The state is king. Bow to the image and everything will be okay. And Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. What's he saying? Hold fast to Jesus, because everything's going to want to take you away from that. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. According to human traditions or the elemental spirits, Of the world. What's he saying? Be careful. The world's going to want to conform you into its image. Don't let it. They're going to want to control your mind. Your customs. Daniel. Whose name means God is my judge. They change his name. To Prince of Bel. Prince of Bel. They call him Belteshazzar. It's interesting because in the Bible you're never going to. You're seldom going to see him called Belteshazzar. He's going to be called Daniel. Hananiah, you're going to forget his name. His name means the Lord is gracious. He becomes Shadrach. Shadrach means I am illumined by rock, the sun god. Wise as the sun god. Mishael means who or, or what is like God. Who is what God is. They change Mishael's name to Meshach, which means who is what Aku is. That's the moon God. Azariah, his name means the Lord helps. They change his name to Abednego, servant of Nebo. All of that is not just innocent. Oh, we're going to change your name. They're trying to change how they look at worship. What is the, your identity? Is your identity still with Yah? Is your identity still with Yahweh? Or are you surrendering that identity? And then they want to change their convictions, the things that they were taught as children. When they were young, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we're to train up our children, we're to teach them. When we walk in the way, when we lie down, when we rise up, wherever we go, whatever we do, organically we are to be teaching our children how to walk with God. Now they're 16 years old, stripped from the family, taken into a palace and given the freedom to do whatever they want. Are they gonna walk in their conviction or not? And this test we see in chapter one is the first part. Verse eight, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. So there were things and the king's delicacy that his parents had taught him not to eat. doesn't matter what they are. It's irrelevant. He had a conviction that he was not to eat that, but he wanted to eat something that he felt would not defile him. So he begins to make his stand. It says he would not defile himself. He resolved, he, he set his heart, I'm not going to lose my conviction. I'm not going to lose my conviction. Therefore, he asked the chief of eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He doesn't rebel, he doesn't pick up a sword and try to kill whoever's in charge. He just goes to the man in charge because it doesn't matter what it looks like, God is in control. So he asks for favor. Now, this is how this works out, it's not really complicated. The chief of the eunuchs didn't get what the king ate. The chief of the eunuchs got what he could afford. So when you went to the chief of the eunuchs and you said, now listen, I I don't want what the king's delicacies are. I just want to eat vegetables and water. I'm sure the eunuch could come up with vegetables and water. The chief of the eunuch is thinking, yeah, I want that T-bone and that ribeye. That's fine with me. That big plate of bacon, I'm good with all of that. Now you would think, oh this is just this is just his his uh his own selfish desire to have these things. And you know, if he's taking the king's delicacies, he's not going to tell on them. He's not going to go to the king and say, "Hey, these guys didn't eat what you gave them." Well, who did? Oh. You don't do nothing with Nebuchadnezzar was psycho. Right? If you made Nebuchadnezzar mad, you ended up in a fiery furnace. When's the last time you were in trouble and the discipline was, I'm going to throw you in the fire? And Nebuchadnezzar was a wild man. So we we see him asking. He's looking for for favor. And look what it says in verse 9. What does it say? Who was in control? God was in control. And God gave Daniel favor. Not only favor, what's the next word? Compassion. So the chief of the eunuchs likes Daniel. They've, they have a relationship. He has favor of the chief of the eunuchs. Now, don't get the idea that chief of the eunuchs has a lot of juice. He's the chief of the eunuchs. Nobody in, nobody in the palace wanted to be chief of the eunuchs. You know that, right? No guy, no, no child was born and said, you know what I want to be when I grow up? Chief of the eunuchs. No, nobody wanted the job. And maybe there was something in that regard that they found, he found compassion for him. But it says, the chief of the, the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and drink for why should he see that you're in worse conditions than the youth who are your age? So you would endanger my head with the king. He's saying, look, if we do this and you guys look all like you're starving to death, I'm the one going to lose my head. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, "We'll test us for 10 days. Give it 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, and let our appearance and the appearance of the other youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to how you see fit. So this is not a rebellion against authority. But it is a desire to stand within their convictions. And who gives favor? God, because these young people want to stand on their convictions on who they are. We belong to the Lord. He'll 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 help us. He'll be with us. I have been on ten day diets. You know what changes for me in a ten day diet? Nothing. Except maybe my attitude my attitude changes Yeah, we, we, we did we had a good run one time me and Kathy we did what's that thing called keto, keto. and so we did this keto diet and we were pretty focused and, and we lost a bunch of weight and then somewhere down the line I said I can't live like this for the rest of my life <laughs> so I can either be skinny or happy <laughs> so I have chosen happiness for you young people I'm going to tell you the same thing I tell my son. Behold your future. You know what my son says to me? Never happen, Dad. It'll never happen. Well, if you know my oldest son, you know it already has. (sighs) He's probably not watching. But one of you guys can tell him he should check that out. My younger son, however, he's still pretty disciplined doing his thing. Look, I can produce pictures of me that look like that too. You can't beat Father Time. I'm just telling you. He is coming for you. So they say 10 days. So this is my point. This is why I'm saying this. Proverbs 21.1. It doesn't matter what it looks like, God is in control. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is a stream of water in whose hand? In the hand of the Lord. And he turns it wherever he wants. So this guy says, I'm afraid of the king, but the Lord had given him favor. So what was going to happen? Daniel's going to get the diet that he wants. Why? Because God is in control. So they, they do the 10 days. So he listened to them and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter than all the youth who ate the king's food. Now, when's the last time you went on an all vegetable diet and got fatter than everybody else? That has not ever happened to me. <laughs> okay, let's be clear. I have only one time we do. We often will do a fast at the beginning of the year, and sometimes I'll do a vegetable fast because my body has not seen a vegetable for a long time. Now, since we've been since we've been doing meals on Wednesday, and Kara is so uh, it's so important to her that that there's broccoli in the in the hot dogs. I have had more vegetables of late. But I I tell you this, if I only ate vegetables, I might look like I used to look one day. But I'd be miserable. They eat only vegetables, they get fat. They have fatter flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Don't go thinking that means they just were all yoked. No, they were not yoked. They got fat. You know how they thought of health and wealth back in... 600 B.C., when everybody around you is starving to death all the time because there's not enough food? You know what they thought of, of health? They didn't think what you think. So they look at these guys and they're like, man, they, they're, they're gaining weight, right on. And I'm sure the chief of the eunuch is cool. I get more bacon. So the steward took away their food and their wine and they were, uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. What's the point of the story? The point of the story is Daniel held fast on his convictions to walk with the Lord. And I don't want to do the things. I want to walk the path my father taught me. I want to walk the path my parents laid out for me. Yeah, but you're free of your parents. They're they're a thousand miles away. If they're even alive anymore. You do whatever you want. You you had every reason to be mad at God because you maybe you looked at your future and you said, I'm going to have a family one day and I'm going to have kids. and I can't wait to get married. And then... You showed up in in uh, with Nebuchadnezzar, crazy king, and he made you a eunuch. Now, I don't want to describe for you what that looks like, but let's just say their plans have forever changed. Forever. So there's lots of reason to be angry at God, shake a fist, and say, I'm going to do what, and, and apparently most of the other people who are with them, the Bible doesn't say anybody else did what they did. The Bible also doesn't say anybody else had the influence that they had on the king and the, and the country moving forward. And they had that influence because they made the choice to walk in holiness, even though the world around them was hostile if they did it. And the result, God gave them favor. Let's look. And as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill. In all literature and wisdom, Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they would be brought in, the chief of eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all, there was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. So they, they get honored. Why did they get honored? Who was with them? Was it just their own skill and ability? Because it doesn't matter what it looks like. Who's in control? God is in control. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired. He found them ten times better than all the wise men he had. So much so that he's going to place Daniel in charge of a group that will be called the wise men. There's going to be a day when a young baby will be born and three wise men will come from the east. They come from a group called the Magi, a group that at least at one time had been led by Daniel the prophet. That connects a lot of dots, don't it? Daniel served there until the first year of king cyrus he's going to have influence on five kings when's the last time you saw a vice president stay for the next president and the one after him 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 yeah that don't ever happen right because it doesn't matter what it looks like who's in control so what can god do with someone who is fully committed Is there a limit to what God can do? To someone who says, I want to stand on my convictions, and so they call out to the Lord for help. They didn't make a way. They just took a chance and stepped out. And God was watching. And he found four of all those who were taken captive. He found four who were willing to not be conformed to the image of Babylon he found four that would not bow who served one king and that's going to be an important concept moving our way through the rest of the book of Daniel amen why don't you stand with me let's pray (coughs) father god we thank you for beginning this book, getting a chance to take a look at what this book lays out for us and the themes and the the points, the story that we want to hold fast to. God, I pray that you would help us to uh, just recognize, understand, comprehend with all the saints what is the height and breadth and width and depth of the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Daniel is going to teach us. He is the Son of Man. He's going to share with us a vision when the Son of Man ascended before the Ancient of Days and the Ancient of Days is going to give him his throne. God the Father only ever does that one time. For because of the obedience of Christ, His name is exalted above every name. His throne is exalted above every throne. So much so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Daniel is going to lay the groundwork for it all. God, we thank you that we can study this amazing book and we ask, God, that you give us eyes and ears to understand, comprehend, and grow and know, Lord, we want to follow in the example. We don't want to be men and women who are conformed to the image of our world who wants to do the same thing Babylon wanted to do to them. And if you said, I'm not not going to eat that, they say, that's stupid. What difference is it going to make? the difference is I want to walk in obedience to God whether you like it or you don't because honestly I fear God not the king God be glorified and magnified in the example may we follow the examples of Daniel Hananiah, Azariah and Mishael and God may you help us Be transformed into the image of your son and we will give you all the praise for it in jesus name amen